Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Raja Cordova podcast. My name is Charles Lego, and I'm your host. On this week's episode, we speak with Brandon Luke, Chief of Police of the Raja Cordova Police Department. Chief Luke has over 28 years of law enforcement experience with the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office and other law enforcement agencies. Um, and so I was heading home and the call came out that it was the wrong way driver. And uh, that was in the direction that I was going. And uh, to make things short, I, I, my vehicle was placed in the position between this wrong way driver and cars that were also traveling the opposite direction. And uh, the wrong way driver veered off and hit the sound wall. Chief Luke began his career in law enforcement as a state trooper with the Nevada Highway Patrol and as a police officer with the UC Davis Police Department before joining the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office in 1999. On this week's episode, Chief Luke and I discussed a variety of issues concerning the Rancho Cordova Police Department, safety and law enforcement in our city. I hope you enjoy our conversation. From the offices of the California Capitol Film Office, we bring you the Rancho Cordova All-American City Podcast, a podcast that brings you all things Rancho Cordova. We get up close and personal with Meet City Hall segment, where we talk in-depth with the hardworking individuals who make the city tick, as well as the city leaders who make critical decisions that affect everyone in the community. We meet business leaders and business owners, getting insight into the economic health of the city and take an in-depth look at the many year-round events brought to you by Cordova Community Council, many of them free. Join us for our weekly look at Rancho Cordova. What is the biggest challenge that the Rancho Cordova Police Department faces today? I would say currently um, our homeless problem that the communities that's faced with the community um, are homeless and also um, recruiting. Recruiting? Recruiting. Um, obviously, we are a contract with the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office, but as we have officers that promote up, um, some retire, um, some move to other um, assignments, it's retaining um, employees and then filling behind them. Um, those are some of the bigger challenges that we face currently today for the Rancho Cordova Police Department. So when you say recruiting, do you mean the Sacramento Sheriff's Department recruiting or the Rancho Cordova Police Department recruiting? So the Rancho Cordova Police Department is very unique that we get to select our officers. Okay. Um, however, uh, with recruiting for law enforcement, those, that's a struggle across, you know, it goes throughout many different agencies right. that there's a, there's a challenge right. as far as recruiting and retaining officers. Right. Um, and that kind of feeds back down into the Rancho Cordova Police Department because we do get our officers from the sheriff's office. So if I wanted to join the police department, specifically Sacramento, could I say I want to join the Sacramento Sheriff's Department with the view of being assigned to Rancho Cordova? That's so typically the way it works is you're a deputy with the sheriff's office right. um, and then you put in um, you assigned. apply yeah. to be on, assigned to the Rancho Cordova Police Department. And it's a very competitive um, process as far as, when I say process, um, officers have a lot to offer. Um, they have a variety of different um, backgrounds, um, things that make them, uh, I guess, more unique than the other. And we want to find the right fit for that officer that's going to serve with the police department for Rancho Cordova. Wow. So it's interesting, the two biggest problems are homelessness, which we're going to talk about. Absolutely. Um, I think our listeners would love to get to know their police chief okay. a little better. So let's start off. Why don't you tell us where were you born and just tell us a little about your early life. Well, I, I was born in Los Angeles. Um, however, I was raised primarily in Fresno, California, um, uh, raised by my mother and father had divorced at an early age um, when I was younger. Um, but I was right. Me and my father had a very good relationship, but um, I was primarily raised by my mother. So you're born in L.A. and then moved to Fresno. So you're yes. a Northern California guy. Somewhat. Yeah, cent way. Or Central Valley, Northern Central California. Valley, yeah. correct, correct. So what did your parents do? Who were they? Tell uh, us about them. Uh, my mother is, my father is, was a, somewhat of an entrepreneur. I um, had a number of few different businesses. Uh, my mother has always been somewhat of a 
manager and director um, with Human Resources. Um, retired from UC Berkeley. Okay. Um, I've always uh, thought she she's always one that I've aspired to be able to give speeches like she does in presentations. Um, she seems always so very natural in that regard. So. Wow, very nice. Mm-hmm. So did you go to school in Fresno? All your schooling was Fresno? I primarily went to high school in Fresno. I went away for college for a little while to Sonoma State, and then I returned and went to uh, Fresno State where I graduated with a uh, degree in criminology. Criminology. Mm-hmm. And how was school? Were you a good student? Did you I like would, school? I, I would say I was an average student. Yeah. Um, I, I, I did like school. Um, I liked um, I liked discu- I liked discussions. Right. Um, and theories behind discussions. Right. So I enjoyed that. And I think that's somewhat what drew me to law enforcement a little bit. So when you um, graduated from college with criminology, a degree mm-hmm. in criminology, was law enforcement your career path? No, no, no not, <laughs> not at all. I, uh, I originally was a business major. Okay. Um, I was very interested in going into some form of marketing. Um, I had a number of jobs growing up and um, while I was going to college. Um, and I started taking some criminal justice classes, um, and that really drew me in. I, I started working at uh, Fresno County Juvenile Hall um, as a um, juvenile probation, uh, I guess it would be a juvenile counselor at that time. And uh, seeing the officers come in, um, the classes that I took, and some of the interactions that I had with officers um, really drew me into that field and, drew my, and you know, gained my interest. So um, that's what got you interested in, in ultimately getting into law enforcement. Yes, and I, I think, you know, my, my mother exposed me to a lot growing yeah. up. And when I, when I say exposed, uh, I don't know if it was her goal or not, but uh, traveling a little bit, um, being a part of different programs and um, seeing her interest in other organizations, things of that nature. Um, I always had a... I guess a desire or interest in helping people, and, no, and, and not knowing what what you know what shape that would look in what, to, to help people. But I saw that as an option in law enforcement, right. um, and that that drew my interest. And from there, I um, I went on to um, apply to different agencies. Right. Um, I well, that actually brings me to the next question. Uh, so you've actually been a police officer for twenty eight years, correct? Which is a long time. Um, that's when I was born, 30 years ago. <laughs> okay. So that's a very long time. So give us a quick rundown of your law enforcement career. Well, I uh, like I said, I started Juvenile Hall with, uh, with Fresno, County Proba- Fresno County Juvenile Hall. Then I went on to work at Madera County um, uh, Juvenile Hall. And I applied to a number of different agencies, and I was just committed to whoever um, would hire me first. Right. And, uh, first cop, first sir. Yes, yes, sir. And so I got selected by Nevada Highway Patrol. Okay. And uh, I had a friend, a friend of my father's that worked for Nevada Highway Patrol, and he said, hey, what do you have to lose, um, you know, to come out here? And right. I, that's what I chose at that time. And, and where um, was that? I tested with Nevada Highway Patrol, and I was, uh, when you get done, when you're going through the academy, right. you have somewhat of a wish list um, of where you can be assigned. Right. And I was assigned to the city of Las Vegas. Oh, so you're in Las Vegas. Yes. Okay. Yes. That must have been a very interesting. Very, uh, very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Different day each day. And so I worked there for about two years. Um, I really enjoyed the, my time there. Um and the things I was exposed to, um, and but I, I got a little homesick, yeah. and so um, I started looking for opportunities to apply to uh, come back to California, and I applied with the U- UC Davis Police Department. Oh, okay, um, and I came back and I worked with the UC Davis Police Department for about three and a half years, um, and that was an interesting assignment because uh, work with UC Davis Police Department, I met a lot of people that had a big impact on my life. Um, met a lot of friends um, but at the same time that's an assignment that has responsibilities associated to the UC Davis Med Center and associated to the campus and I was afforded the opportunity to work at both locations um, and those interactions are very special because uh, like you said working within the education system I mean providing that that type of uh, safety and security or being a component to that so I uh, did that for, like I said, three and a half years. And then from there, I went to, I applied with the sheriff's office. Okay. So you've been with Sacramento a long time. 
uh, for the sheriff's office for just a little over three, 23 wow. years. Yes. Okay. So I've read that you've been awarded a couple of very impressive awards. The Medal of Valor from, as we just mentioned, the Nevada mm-hmm. Highway Patrol and a life-saving medal from the Sac County Sheriff's Office. Are you able to tell us a little bit of what led up to those incidents that got you those awards? It's been quite some time, yeah. but uh, for the Medal of Valor with the Highway Patrol, that was uh, the incident that occurred was uh, a wrong-way driver on the freeway. And uh, I was ending my shift, and um, we end your shift. Uh, you still have your cars or take-home cars, but you end your shift um, when you get to your residence or whatnot. Um, and so I was heading home, and the call came out that it was the wrong way driver. And uh, that was in the direction that I was going. And uh, to make things short, I, I, my vehicle was placed in the position between this wrong way driver and cars that were also traveling the opposite direction. And uh, the wrong way driver veered off and hit the sound wall wow. and he ultimately died. Um, unbeknownst to me, completely unbeknownst to me, but the vehicle that was behind me was a couple that was on their way home with their newborn. Wow. And um, that was, um, I was notified of that thereafter. But um, So he veered off because he saw your lights? and he, Whether he veered off for that or what unknown reason to avoid hitting me, right. but my vehicle was in place right. of between And you him. were in the car? Yes, yes, wow. yes. Okay. So luckily for me, I walked away yeah. unharmed and no one else was harmed. Unfortunate for the driver, he, died, he was yeah. killed. Yes. So nobody knew why he was going the wrong way? I believe he was, he was drunk. drunk, yes, yeah. sir. And the, um, the life-saving... Uh, I believe, are, presumably you saved someone's life. Uh, that was a group effort. Uh, yeah. Me and uh, another off- a couple other officers and a supervisor um, had responded to a um, call where a young man was trying to kill himself, and he had hung himself when his family had found him. And we had done life-saving measures of CPR um, and got a pulse back for him to come back um, when then fire arrived, and they took it from there. Wow. So let's tell us a little bit about the Roger Cordova Police Department. So I know that the city contracts with the sheriff's office. Mm-hmm. So who are, well, we've talked a little bit, but just a little more elaborate. Who are the men and women of RCPD and how do they get assigned to Roger Cordova? And I know we've touched a little bit on it, but. So you, you have officers, like I said, throughout the sheriff's office um, that are, if they show an interest that they would like to come to work for Rancho Cordova Police Department. And sometimes, which, which, is, which is great, is that some of them have a tie to Rancho Cordova that they've grown up here. Right. And they want to come back and right. serve the community that they, that they grew up in. Um, but other times you have folks that would like to come and be a part of the um, Rancho Cordova Police Department. And they apply with us. Um, my leadership team, we, uh, we evaluate the folks that have applied and make our selections from there. Um, and when folks come in, they, they come in as, in a patrol capacity and they work patrol. Right. Uh, I can't share with you enough how good a job the right. men and women of yeah. the, the police department do um, in the patrol capacity. Um, but you work patrol, and there's a variety of different assignments um, that you can go to, specialty assignments that you can go to outside of patrol right. or that are also encompassed in patrol. And uh, you can apply to go to some of those thereafter. Or, um, but that's that's how we identify the folks that we bring on to work at Rancho Cordova. And how big of a police department is it? Are you able to say? Uh, we have about 94. 94, 94 for the whole city? Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay. Mm-hmm. I actually, um, just unrelated, I met with the West Sacramento Police Department the yes, other day yes. to do with a program that we're going to be doing mm-hmm. with them. And I actually met with the assistant chief. And I went there thinking that West Sacramento was bigger than here and in fact they're half the size right, of right, here right that's a what yes. that stunned me because yes. uh i said well you know rancho cordova he said oh they're way bigger than us well and sometimes you're looking at the landscape of it right yeah. um but they have forty five thousand residents right mm-hmm. where there's ninety thousand here mm-hmm. compared to us exactly around eighty thousand yeah. here um, yeah and mm-hmm. then they have a much smaller geographic area exactly but he said they're right on the border of sacramento right. so they are right. often jump over that bridge exactly and, and same here right yeah. between rancho right. you have sacramento on one end and right. um, not too far up the road we're almost into folsom so right yeah. mm-hmm. 
So now we'll get to talk about policing in Rancho Cordova. So okay. Rancho is a very diverse community. It has 80,000 people, as we said, 80, 90,000, depend who you speak to. But also 65,000 people a day come to work here. Um, and Rancho Cordova is named the 29th most diverse city in the United States where 90 languages are spoken, which was a fact when I heard that. Like, who knew? And the city is very proud of that fact. So how does the police department with, deal with diversity like that amongst citizens? And do you have, a mul do you have multilingual officers that could deal with that? And last question is, what problems does that kind of diversity sort of um, bring to a police department? Well, I'll, I'll start with the first one, Charles, that um, the diversity is, is, I think, is phenomenal right. in regards to the city. Right. Um, but when you look at law enforcement and public safety, you would like to see some of the same of uh, in regards to culture within the folks that serve you. Right. And that's a struggle with law enforcement. Um, but I think that we are doing a, we're very diligent in regards to our recruiting efforts, um, to ex expose ourselves and to other cultures to get, to garner interest in wanting to be in the profession. Um, and what that looks like is, as there's different events, cultural, cultural events, um, we do our best to attend some of those events and to share our recruiting efforts to draw in folks um, that are uh, from different cultures to be in the profession so that they can come back and serve their communities. Uh, we, within the um, police department, we have folks that are um, multilingual, that speak different languages, um, but at the same time, we can always, we can always um, improve in those areas. Um, but it does serve a purpose when you can go to a call for service and uh, it's a different culture, right. and they see someone that's like them, right. um, that's ex been exposed to some of the same things, that know their culture. Um, I think that le that um, that lends to trust, right? Um, and that that's something that we struggle with with the, within a, with a number of cultures is the, um, their ability to trust law enforcement because maybe the place that they came from. That wasn't the norm, was the trusting of law enforcement. So, And I'm sure you get called to, I mean, people that don't speak English still need police service. So if you get called and nobody speaks whatever language and your officers don't, you have access to interpreters fairly quickly? We have access to interpreters. Um, I think our officers do a great job or sometimes... You have children there, right. um, or someone else, another uh, right. loved the one there English, that, that yeah. speak English right. very fluently, and they're right. able to act in a um, capacity or form of right. helping to interpret for their parents. Um, but we do have services that would offer um, some form of translation. But uh, that also making those connections with children—that's uh, where it starts. Right. That, that's a, that's absolutely where it starts. Where um, we build that trust. And the goal is to continue, continue to be transparent, but building that trust with the children, um, I think also lends its way to the parents and seeing that, hey, when we call 911, we're calling for help. And when they call for help, are, they're actually getting someone that can come and help them out of whatever their crisis or their emergency it is. Right. And you only have one police station here, right? Just the one, the headquarters where I've been to. Is yes. that the only one, no substation? No, so, so that, that station is a, I don't know if you said you've been there. Yeah. That, it's, a, it's a gorgeous station. It is. And I've been to your office. Yes. With the previous chief. <laughs> okay. We filmed okay. that, yeah. Okay, and so that, that station there is um, it's very impressive. And, yeah. Um, our staff there has continued to improve some of the things there in the, in the station right. from uh, things to help the officers stay fit from right. the gym area and yeah. things to memorial there right. for um, obviously for – Deputy Mark Stashuk right. and um, uh, Officer Larry Canfield um, to honor them, but other things there to also show the camaraderie and uh, I didn't, you know, to just to share what we do each and every day. Right. But it's something to keep the spirits up for the officers right. and provide a good, a, a nice workplace. So, with one station, is response time important to you as chief? I didn't in England, for example, they have it's mandated; they have to respond within a certain time. Is that a, a thing here, or? Well, you always you always want to have a um, 
minimal response time. I think where our, our department is is very centrally located. It is, yeah. Um, but you always want to have a, a very minimal response time. But I, I think where our station is yeah. is, is, yeah, it's right in the is center. Yeah, it's very beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you call in 911, um, every minute it seems like an hour when you're waiting. Well, and also remember that our officers are out in the field. Yeah. So, so they have their own they're, they're, not, they're not specifically right, responding coming. from yeah. the station. Right. Um, they, you, may have an, you may have officers that are responding from around the corner. Right. which makes your response time maybe, maybe within quicker. a couple of minutes. Yeah. Or you may have officers that are responding from all the way across the city because they've been on another call. Right. And so it, it could be a number of different situations um, that would affect response I time. I was just curious if you as chief, is that's, that's one of your things. You know, how long does it take every call? Are they responding quickly? And Well, I, I would... I understand the benefits and the importance of having the station, but I think it's more important for the officers to be out in the field. Yeah. And why I say that is because it's the, the, the connections they're making within the community, and they need to be visible. Um, they need to be visible for the community to see that they're doing enforcement and to see them making those connections with other community members. Right. So while we were researching to speak to you, um, I came across that um, for the size of the police department, you have quite a few unique units, I think, or unique divisions for a city of this size. So maybe for people who don't know, if we could briefly discuss each one just quickly, that way listeners can learn about each of these units and how it serves the residents. So the first one would be the crime suppression unit. What is that? That's a very unique um, team or unit, um, CSU, crime suppression unit. Um, I believe they've been around since 2015. Um, they're funded by the Community Enhancement Fund, but right. they are, that's a team that's made up of, I believe there's, well, there's four officers on that team um, and a sergeant, and they have the ability to go out and be proactive. Um, to be I, what, Proactive. Proactive. Um, that's, that's, that's the foundation for them is to be proactive enforcement. And what that means is they go out um, and they identify um, a criminal element or some type of um, criminal activity, um, whether that be through narcotics, gangs, um, uh, theft. Um, they work with, you know, identifying different trends, working with our crime analysis on where um, certain crimes have increased in certain areas, um, whether that be uh, commercial or residential. And they look to see what efforts need to be put forward there. Um, so is it almost like an intelligence unit? Uh, you could say that, but I mean, they get intelligence from right. our crime analysis. Right. But the benefit to them is they're not responding specifically to calls for service. Right. However, that doesn't preclude, preclude them from going and assisting right. with calls for service. Right. But their goal is to be proactive right. enforcement. Mm-hmm. So to prevent crime. Yes, sir. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Problem-oriented policing. What is that unit? That is a unit that wears many hats. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I really I really like our pop team. Um, you call them pop? Yeah. So problem-oriented policing. Yeah. We we tend to. Yep. We tend to add the acronyms. So our pop team is comprised of I believe that's another four officers um, and a sergeant, um, and they deal with also other they work with within the neighborhoods um but they work with businesses but they they deal with uh enforcing crimes but they also deal with uh quality of life issues um i think that's what's unique to them um a situation that may be between two neighbors or or with businesses um that's creating some type of quality of life issue they go in and work with them and identify uh some form of a fix that's a long term fix um, versus short term, um, they their ability to work with our community prosecutor um, to identify different things that are creating blights within the community um, and to address those issues. Uh, but they also work with our um, criminal anal- our crime analysis right. uh, to identify areas <laughs> that we'll are. We'll talk about them in a second. Okay. So these are not twenty four hour operations. This is um, no, whenever they're there. No, they 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 typically work more business hours, yeah. but they they are very flexible and they flex on a regular basis right. their um, hours to work um, where they're seeing that right. the crime during times that they know crimes right. are being done. Uh, because we we all know that crimes don't work. They don't typically operate right. on an eight to five schedule. Right. So right. Th- these teams on a regular will modify their hours. What is the Citizens Academy? Well, interesting enough, we had the opportunity to speak to the Citizens Academy <laughs> last week. Um, Citizens Academy 
It's a great opportunity. It's a 10-week program for citizens right here in Rancho Cordova to uh, come and get an insight of what we do um, within law enforcement, the profession, but to hear um, about the tools that we have afforded to us, the resources, but to hear from different um, different officers, different teams, um, their responsibilities, uh, and then to be able to ask those candid questions um, firsthand. So it's, it's it's and then by learning, uh, you know, it's, what's great about it is those citizens become advocates. And they can go and share the same information that they've learned about um, okay. how, you know, what we do with their peers and with their neighbors. Did you say it's a 10-week course? Yes, sir. So, like, how, like one hour a week? Or? Um, I believe they go a couple of hours. Wow. Um, and that I believe they were meeting on Thursdays, okay, I believe. Well, I, I, mean, I could be wrong, but I think it was 10 Thursday. weeks? That's 20 hours? I mean, that's extensive knowledge. Yes, they have a graduation schedule for next week, I believe. Okay. So, yes. So you do like one course and then another course. Yes, they have they have every week. Yeah, yeah. Um, and people in the, in are always evenings. signing up for that. Yes, they do. You'd be wow. surprised yeah, at yeah. how many people, and, and rightfully <clears throat> so. You're interested in, you know, a service that's afforded to you as a citizen, but right. to know, hey, what are the resources and the tools that my law enforcement have at their disposal? Right. So the next one is, what is the crime-free program? So crime-free program is more designed toward for apartments. Um, and different, um, I guess, residential living to help provide them with the opportunity to hold accountable their residents um, to, for living in a crime-free zone. Um, I think that that's a good thing about it is that yeah. it it it's becomes an extra tool for us as law enforcement that we are, you know, as residents or tenants that you're stating, hey, I, I'm not going to participate in any form of crime. This is going to be a crime-free area. And those and those areas, those apartments uh, or whatever the residential area it is, right. they, they hold them accountable to that okay. and they educate them. But they're also acknowledged for having that, um, that program. So if myself and three of my friends are all living in an apartment building mm -hmm. and we're having issues with other people that live there, we call the police department. And then they send along the crime-free program people, and we discuss it. And well, not not necessarily sending in the crime-free program, but they they address it. They can address that with our law enforcement officers that come for a call for service, or better yet, our pop officers. Right. And typically, that's going to be done with management right. of whatever that um, okay. that you know. Because these are programs I've never sort of seen. They seem pretty unique. And as I said earlier, for a city of this size, I mean, it's great that we have that. And I know the city is very involved with all their different, you know, the community enhancement grants, and which really helps. Well, Charles, I think there's a number of different programs that are very unique to Rancho. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's know, a whole host, by the way. We, I have them all here. We have a service area yeah. that's... that's um, we have all volunteers, yeah. all volunteers that right. work this where folks come in and they come in for, you know, different things to get a report and um, or to file something. And it's our volunteers that are very responsible that, yeah. that do this. But we, they have a program called CARES right. where we, I don't know if you're familiar with that program, but where we check on some of our seniors, yeah, our saw. senior population. Yeah. And so uh, all these things lend itself towards some form of intentional right. service that I we provide. I found another one where um, if you're on vacation, yes, you call the police department and they check on your home. Yes. They check the doors and the windows. All and that, and they make a incredible. note. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and re remember, some folks don't have other, right. other people to do uh, those I things agree. for them. Yeah, yeah. So. And then we touched on the Crime Analysis and Prevention Unit. That's got a great name. So what is that? So that the Crime Analysis Unit... Um, has the ability to look at different stats and different trends, um, uh, crimes, um, how, how they're occurring, and they collect that data. And with that data, they're able to identify um, what those trends are and uh, where they're occurring. Um, you look at time and date, um, all that all those that information, and then that's pushed out to our to our patrol units and to our specialty units so that we can identify what's the ne what's the next. Um, recourse as right. far as how we're going to identify what type of patrol or right. enforcement um, to address. And are these civilians or police officers? These are, so they're they're not sworn. They're some of our non-sworn personnel. Right. Um, they're what we call our records officers. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And then finally, a unit that I'm really familiar with, um, 
with the film office uh, because we're going to be doing a program with them, which we're calling Life Camera Action. Um, and that's PAL, the Youth Services Program, PAL, uh, Police Activities League. And the program we're going to be doing is where we're going to the film office and the guys here. We're going to teach kids how to make PSAs that are of value to them, a minute PSA, and we do it from beginning to end. So as the chief of police, how important is the PAL unit? It, and what are the benefits of it? I, I think I know, but the listeners. Well, I think it's incredibly <clears throat> important. Um, and our youth services and PAL um, officers do a phenomenal job. Uh, and they expose the kids um, to things that maybe they wouldn't have the opportunity right, of doing. Exactly. Um, recreational things, camping, whitewater rafting, things of that nature. But they also have, you know, th- those are fun things. Right. But we also have to understand that we're trying to make um, our next um, generation also responsible. And they do that by, they have leadership programs. Um, they just got back from a conference and a few of them messaged to me that one of their um, participants that are, that's been in their programs and their leadership and they're helping to uh, manage some of the young, younger youth. And I thought it was very impressive that they're helping now in a responsible role to manage the younger youth on different um, tours and different um, field trips. And that speaks to your that speaks to your program, right? Um, the ability to go and do these things, but we have to recognize that this type of connection that we make with the the youth. Um, that's supposed to pay dividends when as they get older. Right. Some of them obviously may have an interest in going into law enforcement. Some of them may not. But that's still pro- we're still um, providing those leadership qualities to them so they can be successful in anything, any and everything that they do. And I would have thought another aspect, and I've experienced this working with youth that I have in the past. Young people are very nervous with the police, and I've never really understood it. I mean, I fundamentally, of course, I understand it, but. You get and you say, well, we're going to go to the police station for a meeting or we're, you know, we're going to talk to. Oh, and they they get very, very nervous. I would imagine that working and I know the three officers at Powell Mm -hmm. working with them exposes them and it humanizes. I would imagine that they're cops to the kids and then that sort of builds trust. And maybe the kids, well, you know, they're normal. (laughs) They're normal uh, people, which must help when they do face, when they get pulled over or when something happens. Right. And, and like you said, it's, it's humanizing the badge right. and um, the relationships that they establish in the program. Um, and then if they come into contact with law enforcement or even if their peers do, they, they're able to message that, right. no, I'm a part of this program right. and officers are okay. And, and don't get me wrong, we all know that some officers and, you know, to see an officer with all this equipment and different things, right. it looks intimidating of sometimes. Course, yeah. But once you get to understand and talk to the person behind that badge and behind that right. uniform and the equipment, you realize, hey, there's maybe some commonalities right. here. And with all these different units and these departments, we'll call them departments, and we only touched on mm-hmm. half, you're the CEO of that, of that organization. Do you stay, are you constantly being updated? Do you, are you constantly in touch with them all? What do they need? How are they doing? Or are you too busy for that? I, I hope I never get too busy right. for that. But I have a leadership team that does a phenomenal job. Right. But I do my best to get in to talk with right. the officers. Um, we have a leadership uh, advisory council that's pr- comprised of officers right. um, in various positions. But um, they meet with us and they share with us some of their concerns, um, some things that have become successes, some that would be best practices. But... It's those types of relationships and going and talking with officers each and every day. Each and every day it's important because there's value. They're the ones we may help steer the ship, but they are the, definitely the motor. And they're the ones going out and doing the work each and every day. And there's value in being able to acknowledge them for what they do. And all honesty, Charles, I get, we have to understand that this community consistently um, acknowledges the good work that our officers yeah. do, but that doesn't always get to the officers. Right. It gets to me. So yeah. I think is it's important that I be the messenger right. to go and share that with the officers so right. that they see that. Yeah. <clears throat> so in a few minutes, we're going to take a quick break. But first, I'd like to touch on a problem that is paramount in a lot of cities in this country. I live in Sacramento. I live right downtown. So I see it every single day. And that's the issue of homelessness and the unhoused. 
It's also a problem that personally I have a lot of interest in. Unfortunately, the unhoused can face a lot of dis discrimination from the public, especially residents who live near them or businesses nearby their camps, or even, you know, they make, they make their home on the street corner right outside your house. The first person they're gonna call is the police. So how does a chief of police like yourself expect your officers to deal with the homeless? And is this an important issue for you? It, I think it's an extremely important issue. Um, it's an important issue across the country. Right. Um, when you ask what's my expectation of my officers, my ex the expectation of my officers is intentional service, and that's service with a level of care, professionalism. And I think our officers do that. Um, extending humanity um, to a person where we don't know the circumstances exactly. of what you what um, how homeless how you became unhoused or homeless right. we don't know that right and there's a there's a variety of different situations that could have contributed to which that. could happen very absolutely quickly, by the way absolutely yeah um, and so we have a we, you know we have a hot team right. our homeless outreach team but right. look we're talking about each and everyday patrol right um, it's important that uh, we connect with these folks and try and provide services to them. Um, but what we also do is we provide that information to our homeless outreach team, our officers, so they can do follow-up with right. them um, and so identify. So while we're talking about the hot mm -hmm. team, as you call them, the homeless mm -hmm. outreach team, we did um, uh, some filming for the city, and we actually followed them. Um, I was very impressed with the compassion, firmness, but compassion that they showed and um, the, the follow, I could tell, I mean, I didn't see the follow up, but I could tell that there was going to be follow up. Tell us a little about the homeless outreach team, because I know I spoke to the city manager and that was a team that he was very interested in. Um, so tell us about them. Who are they and what do they do? Well, our homeless outreach team is comprised of two officers and they also have a supervisor. Um, but they go and they they connect. And I. I Please understand the value of that word. Uh, they connect right. with the different um, unhoused um, population within Rancho Cordova where you identify with the homeless navigator. Right. Um, we have a homeless navigator that works with neighborhood services. Right. But you go and identify um, what are some of the resources that folks need um, to either help them get back on their feet. And there are different, some pe people can be at different stages of being homeless. Maybe they've been homeless for quite some time, and, and maybe some folks are preparing to get ready to get um, go into transitional housing. Um, they're preparing to go into, you know, maybe get a job interview, things of that nature. <clears throat> maybe some even have children, pets. Um, all these are considerations that we have to take very strongly. And I did, it's, it's all about identifying what's the appropriate resource. But the I think the key to it, where we've been successful, is the constant and constant connection, constant recontacting of folks. And we work with um, some of our organizations, our MCE and our um, Sheriff's uh, Work Release Program, our Work Project uh, pro um, Program, where we do cleanups. Um, because don't get me wrong, I, I, I totally understand as far as in identifying empathy but as, and being hu humane. But sometimes some of our complaints come from business owners, residents, um, and the blight uh, that's being contributed to the community um, from some of the different stuff that's sprawled around. But we also, we, we, we can't not extend some form of humanity in trying to help folks um, get to um, some other form or uh, improve their quality of life, and that's the goal. So just a quick follow-up question. You've been a police officer for many years. You're a very experienced police officer. You head up a department. How does this problem get solved? And I know it's an impossible question, but in your view, what do you think can be done with the problem of homelessness? Well, Charles, that's, that's the million-dollar question, right? That's, yeah. Um, and if, if it was that easy, I think that some, somebody Something would, would have... Somebody would have chosen that. But I think we also have to understand that not everybody wants no, that help. That's for sure. And that can't be forced upon everybody. Right. Um, but we can. what we can do and what we are doing is continuing to message to folks, hey, these are the resources. Um, here's where you can get some form of housing. Um, but trying to identify ways to get them off the street and improve their quality of life. Um, but also with the cleanups. Um, it, 
it's and the cleanups it's, is where you you just have to move a group of people, right? No, no, oh no. The no. clean the cleanups is cleaning whatever is um, items that are littered around the city. Oh, oh, um, oh, that's why I say some some of our business owners and different things they don't want to see um, would would contribute to the blight to the I community. Okay. Those are the cleanups, but we also have to recognize that. With our homeless population, there is sometimes a component of mental health. Yeah. Uh, mental which mental health struggles. So before we actually get into that, and I'd like to talk about the crime figures in Rancho, which are actually very good. But first, we're going to just take a really quick break, and we'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by the CalCap Film Studios in Rancho Cordova. Video is one of the most progressive and cost-effective ways of getting your message seen and heard. It's hands down the best way to capture your audience and generate sales in today's digital world. CalCap Film Studios provides corporate, industrial, and commercial video production services that will propel your business towards success in today's digital frontier. At CalCap Film Studios, we know what you need and will inspire your audience with a message that's unique to your brand and business. For more information, call 916-706-2000 or visit www.calcapfilmstudios.com And we're back with the Rancho Cordova podcast. Today, we're here with Rancho Cordova Police Chief, Brandon Luke. So Chief Luke, thank you. And before the break, we discussed homeless issues. Now I'd like to discuss another problem which is very prevalent to police departments around the country, and that's mental health. Studies show that nearly 50% of police victims are living with a disability, which is predominantly a mental health disability. And in many ways, 911 is basically the only option for people looking for mental health crisis intervention. Police, you arrive at the scene, you have guns, you have weapons, and sometimes the lack of mental health training, and often, sometimes the results can be fairly devastating, as we see. So two questions. As the chief of a department, how do you expect mental health to be handled, which is sort of, I guess we touched on that with the homeless. And also, I know that Rancho Cordova has the mobile crisis support team. How does it work? And by the way, I read in 2021 that this team, which is last year, responded to 374 calls for service which by any standard, that's a call a day, which is incredible. How do you handle mental health? How does a police officer handle mental, mental health? Well, Charles, you took, my, you took my statistic from me. But yes, 374 calls is a lot. It is. Um, but our CIT, which we call our crisis intervention team, is comprised of a mental health clinician and a, an officer. Um, and I can't say that they respond to how many they respond to a day. Um, but at the same time, when we say, how do we, how do, what's my expectation for officers responding to um, a person that's suffering from some form of mental health um, emergency, the expectation is professionalism. Um, always safety is paramount. Um, professionalism, patience, um, and trying to assist somebody in working through the crisis. Um, our CIT team, which is, which is, I, I think is, so what's so good about them is they have the ability with the mental health clinician and their connection with behavioral health is that they have the ability to identify resources um, and programs for a person immediately. And then what's key is follow-up, um, the follow-up to make sure that someone's getting what they need. Um, and better yet, if they haven't gotten it, how do we get it to them? Um, and continue continued connection with that individual to get them in to get them in the programs that are necessary whether that be for addiction whether that be for some form of mental health but uh that that if, that at times wasn't provided to us um and law enforcement wears many hats and don't get me wrong i think that we have training in some of those areas but we don't have the training that the mental health clinicians have and the resources but we our officers do go through de-escalation training to talk situations down and de-escalate situations which is great um and i don't want to take anything away from that but the the connection and the teamwork between a mental health clinician and the deputy being able to respond to these calls and follow up on calls where it may be a you know a, a situation where there's constant calls for service for this one individual right. um 
that can be forwarded to our CIT right. team, and they go and they reconnect with that person. So when the call comes and it's it is someone with a mental health issue, the police respond, and this person is with them, does that person take the lead, the initial contact with that person, and the police stand back? No, it's more the other way around. It is. Um, sometimes where the deputy, you need to deem the, the situation safe. Okay. Um, and uh, when that situation is safe, they, that, that clinician, um, and it's a shared role. It's right. a shared role. Um, but uh, it's also, it, it assists you in sometimes identifying, hey, let's get this person into, they are, they're in, increasing our calls for service. Right. And they're increasing our calls for service because they're constantly going through a mental emergency or a crisis. Well, now that we've gotten them into some form of a program where they can re receive the services that they need, look what this does. That decreases our calls for service. Right. And now what it does is it it puts our officers in positions where they can respond to other calls right. where it's more of a law enforcement right. um, nexus to it. And obviously if anything goes wrong, then you're the guy giving the press conference, right? Yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. <laughs> Let's talk about crime statistics in Rancho. So let me tell you a story. When mm -hmm. I first came here to open the film office, I told people in Sacramento, yeah, we, I'm going to be moving to Rancho Cordova. And all the time, Rancho Cordova, why would you move there? Well, what's wrong with it? It's full of crime. You know it's the most dangerous city in the region. And I'm thinking, really? I couldn't really figure it out, but here I am. I have found that to be the opposite. I've never seen a problem, really. I see more problems where I live in downtown Sacramento than I've ever seen here. And in fact, this city is one of the safest cities in the region. And if I'm correct, with the lowest crime statistics. I could be wrong. Maybe you'll correct me. Tell us about the statistics in our city compared with our neighbors. So Folsom, Elk Grove, and obviously Sacramento. How are you doing here? So I'll share with you, Charles. We we don't like to compare um, no. uh, like cities because demographics are completely different. Um, we we don't know what demographics are in one area, what priorities are in other areas, um, landscape. Um, but at the same time, I will say that Rancho Cordova is a safe city. Uh, we we have to understand that crime statistics are things that contribute to crime statistics, and we talk about property crimes or crimes against persons. Um, COVID, COVID um, had a big shift in our numbers and things related to that down. because, uh, well, both ways, because yeah. you have to consider that people were staying at home. Right. And so when people are staying at home, maybe residential burglaries decreased because right. now they're at home. Um, but for commercial, now that there's not people in businesses, so that's another opportunity to uh, these businesses become attractive to um, someone of a criminal element. Uh, and so... There's different things that contribute to statistics. Uh, when I talk about the traffic, um, we're so fortunate. We have a great traffic, our, our motor team here in Rancho Cordova. And Rancho Cordova is continuously growing, as you know. Um, but at the same time, it's also a corridor for a number of neighboring communities. Right. And so we see a lot of traffic that comes through here. And so all these contribute to the statistics that are here. And we know that uh, here in the city, our numbers, um, for as far as population, goes down um, on our non-business right. hours right. and days. Um, so that also contributes to statistics. But um, when we talk about crime statistics, our crimes against persons are definitely on, sometimes I would say it depends on the time of year it depends on um the area but on a decrease sometimes our crimes for property um we've seen a decrease in those um and there's a, a number of different strategies that have gone into um supporting those um those the decrease of those numbers and that leads me to talk about our uh crime prevention um that we have within the organization and that <coughs> that goes for our neighborhood watch that goes for um, for our business owners, for our FOS program, which is our Folsom Olson Zinfandel. And all these things go to educate uh, the leads for our neighborhood watch, goes to educate our business owners. But then what we try to do is divide or provide some level of communication and then give them some form of solutions on how to address a certain, certain problem. And then we also approach it with what level of enforcement what we put in that area to combat whatever um, right. crime that we're seeing. What are the two biggest 
the, the most, the, the things that are the most, are they assaults, are they burglaries, are they car thefts, drug offenses? What are the biggest, the two biggest problems in this city? <clears throat> I would see some of your crimes, crimes uh, for property. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And and that's that's understandable. So a crime for property is someone breaking into somewhere. Could be breaking or, into or your breaking into your car. Absolutely right. breaking into a business. Um, those are some those are some of the concerns. Yeah. But um, and that's not to minimize anything. Right. Um, those are still people want to feel safe. They want their property to feel safe. Right. And so and I would imagine those are optimist <coughs> um, opportunist <coughs> things. Right. At, someone at, walking by a car. Ooh, I like that. Boom and. At any given time. Yeah. And that's why it's also important that we educate the community on right. what can you do right. to change your situation. Um, but also at the same time, it also lets us know what can we do to maybe increase our efforts or patrol efforts in those areas. So you have a community crime map, which is for residents that could view statistics. Yes. So look at that. That means that I can look and say, OK, I live in this neighborhood. Let me see my statistics. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little about the program. It, it's important to understand that the 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 map is specific to reports that are that and are generated. And I've seen it's very yes. impressive. Yes. Actually. Yeah. So re, as the reports go in, it's a system. As the reports go in, it contributes to information and data to the map. So is it in real time? Um, I believe it's daily. It's daily. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So uh, that that's about as real time as you're yeah, going to yeah, get. Of course. But. Uh, it it doesn't it doesn't contribute to calls for service. Right. So calls for service, maybe a number of calls for service on the street, but for that mapping, you're looking for reports that are generated and that are completed that that contribute right. to those numbers. So it's it's I think it still provides a um, wealth of information for citizens that live here and for citizens that are um, interested in moving right. to Rancho Cordova. So the same subject as statistics. I always see you and the city manager, I see you both the same. You're the CEO. So you're the CEO of the, the safety of the company, and he's the CEO of the, who runs it. Um, and you, you just look at all the different sort of um, departments you have. Neighborhood Watch, and we touched on Neighborhood Watch, um, and community-oriented policing. Good thing, bad thing. I have a feeling you're going to say it's a good thing. I think it's a great thing. Yeah. And how important of a tool is a neighborhood watch to a police department? And then how I want to be involved in a neighborhood watch. How does that happen? So I'll answer the latter of it first. Yeah. And to be involved is simple. Yeah. Um, you email our, our neighborhood watch, crime prevention, and say, I'd like to be a part of, uh, I'd like to join a neighborhood watch program. They're going to identify and say, hey, we already have a program in your area. Here's your contact person. Okay. Or they're going to say, hey, that's great. We'd like to help you form one, and then we, here's right. the steps that we have to do to um, form one. Um, when we talk about Neighborhood Watch, they're, Charles, they're, they're the teeth right. that we need. And when I say the teeth— they're, You're unpaid cops. Yes, yes, yeah. but we're, we're empowering, right? right. And, and we're empowering folks to help us do our job. Um, we, we go by the saying of see something, say something, see something, report something. And no one's more familiar with a person's with a, an individual's neighborhood than right. them. Okay. When they see something that's out of the ordinary, when they see something that's that stands out, that's when they report something, um, and they're they're the eyes and ears uh, for their own community. So when I say good thing, bad thing, could mm -hmm. you? And it happens everywhere. Could you have an overzealous neighborhood watch person, and every little thing they're constantly calling you? How would you handle that? Because it must be getting a little irritating. Every time a dog walks by, he thinks, oh, I don't know that dog. Or... And I understand that, but I think that comes to we still we always have the opportunity to educate yeah. um, uh, the community or an individual on what they should be doing. Right. And um, the mere fact that they're that they're doing that, it helps us. But right. we always have the opportunity to educate but someone. you respond on. every time. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 and I'll just say that, I mean, in regards to response, we, we, we have our supervisors that have the opportunity to review calls many times when, as they come in. So um, some we can make those phone calls to educate a person or then go and have a neighborhood watch right. meeting with that individual or their group to right. see what, um, what's appropriate information that they should be reporting. And then to the overzealous people amongst us, what advice do you give what we would call a their neighborhood watch captain would be the person in charge, right? What what That's advice correct. do you give them? 
I'm as far as if they see something. It's important that you be responsible. Yeah. It's important that you be responsible. Um, it's important that you're responsible in the information that you're getting out to your, um, I guess, your peers, your residents. And make. I guess the key is that not to be an abyss, that you are sharing this information. And when I say sharing, there may be some things that become a success in one community, but now another community is, right. is seeing it. Right. Hey, that's us. That's up to us right. as the law enforcement agency and our crime prevention coordinator to say, hey, let's share some of your successes with this other community to help them be successful as well. It's also about educating them on the different things that they should look out for, different right. trends that are up for, you know, we talk about, you know, theft of catalytic converters and, you know, in the winter months and things of that nature. When you put, you know, during Christmas time, what's, when you put your stuff out, um, lighting, things of that nature. Which I actually read that the catalytic converter thing, you have a, don't you have a, a unit just devoted to that? Is it, there, or did I read that wrong? We do not have one for the no. sheriff's office, but I mean, I'm sorry, for the Rancho Cordova Police Department, but the sheriff's office has detectives that that is a, uh, that's um, their job. That's a, one of their, one of their wow. responsibilities. Yes. Wow. Which is interesting because that's going on all over the place, yeah. right? How closely does a police chief work with the city manager of the city and the mayor? I work very closely with um, the city manager, with Cyrus Abar. Uh, I, I enjoy our relationship for the fact that um, he can call on me um, and I can call upon him yeah. um, when something is needed. And I don't feel, I've, n I've never felt like I was putting him out. Right. Um, he's always been very, very approachable yeah. for me. He told me, he actually told me your relationship is close. Yes. And he spoke yes. very well of you. Yes. No, yeah. I, I really enjoy yeah. um, having our working relationship that we have. And then do you deal basically with him or do, are you in touch with the city council and the mayor? Or is that a different sort of ball game? It's, it's primarily with the city manager, yeah. but available to the city council right. if needed. Absolutely. Because they could just call you in and ask you questions. Yep. Absolutely. Right? That's, yeah. that's, that's the luxury of the position, I guess. Right. <laughs> And do police chiefs and other agencies, do you sh talk to each other? Like, would you talk to the chief of Sacramento, for instance, or the chief of Folsom? Do you share intelligence? So interesting that you asked that question. We meet once a month. Once a month? Yes. All uh, the police chiefs? Yes. Um, we meet and discuss um, things that are going on in our own jurisdictions that could um, inherently have an effect on another jurisdiction. That includes Sacramento. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Which which is great. That's how you. That, that's you know a transfer of that communication yeah. helps allow to see different trends that may be coming your way or how we've addressed a certain problem. Um, so no, those those that type of communication does exist and it's very beneficial. Right. So we're almost at the end of time here, but there's one thing I'd like to touch on. You know, we see all these school shootings that happen. Um, and in these days of such negativity towards policing in general, how important are SROs to, to a police department and to the school nowadays? Are they aware of, do they look for these horrific things that may happen? What is, what is an SRO? I've never heard of them until I came to America. So a school resource officer, yeah. we have, um, with our school resource officers, we have Thomas Tiapua and Soraya Loudon okay. currently, and um, they're they're the glue. Well, what that's, do they do? So how well, many schools are in Rock? So let's well, say there's well, five schools. Well, they're the glue. That's the connection. They're the liaison between the school and law enforcement. Um and that's a huge that's that's a huge undertaking that we talk about with school shootings. They're responsible. Right. They're responsible for that school, right. and they know the layouts of the school. Um, but you know, when we talk about roles for um, SROs, one of the roles is obviously the safety and security of that school. Right. Um, knowing your students, um, how many times SROs have such a good connection and relationship with the kids that, that they become mentors, and I think that's key. And making those, having those relationships with the kids. Yeah. Um, I think um, our current SROs, they do a very good job at that. But And that's what contributes to their success. And they get to know the, the kids at the schools? Oh, absolutely. That, yeah. I think that's what allows kids to feel comfortable with, right. with talking to them. And, you know, this, this lends itself to school shootings. Uh, that When you have children that are willing to share information with you, um, you can't operate right. under, you know, without right. anyone detecting what you're doing. It's, right. it's very difficult. 
Um, but being able to a kid that they I, they're able to identify, and like we said before, sometimes law enforcement comes across very intimidating. Right. But then they they have a chance to make those connections with law enforcement on an, in an environment that's comfortable to them at school. Right. And um, working with the teachers, working with the safety and security teams of the school, um, and within the education system, uh, like I said, that's a big undertaking for SROs. But they get out and they they develop those relationships and they communicate uh same with the parents yeah um so um it's a very then they bring that information back right um to the to the pd right. and share that information with the officers um it's very um important that they share the landscape of what a school looks like right. um with the officers so and when we're responding to calls for service and on uh, the flip side they may see something that maybe triggers them i'm sorry who the the SRO might see a kid that um, oh absolutely they feel might be having some problems could be a threat absolutely any type of threat any type of an emotional threat uh, or emotion uh, emotional crisis yes and there, there's been times where you know comments have been made in some form of social media platform um, some form of a threat and the SROs have gotten information about that and that information has to be right. addressed as a as an appropriate threat and dealt right. with where officers respond to that resonance okay. So the last question I have for you before we get to our fun little quick round, um, what's next for Brandon Luke? 28 years as a cop, that's a long time. I know it's a long time. It's a very long career. What's next for you? How, how much longer do you plan on doing what you're doing? Or do you have any sort of things? Are you going to move to Hawaii and be a painter? What, what's next for you? Charles, I, I I don't know what's next for me. No. I, I I'm enjoying the moment. You're still very um, young. Yeah. Yes. I hope yeah. so. Yeah, <laughs> but but I've um I've enjoyed my career. I I really enjoy the work that I do. I've enjoyed um, the relationships, um, and people I've connected with, whether it be in some form of uh, through the community, um, in work. I've had a lot of mentors that have helped shape me, and uh, I. I attribute that to me enjoying this career to those relationships. And uh, I don't know where I'll be in two years. I don't know where I'll be in a year. Because if you move up, you have to move out of here, right? Correct. Yeah, correct, back to the correct. big department. And, and I'll, I'll say that, you know, coming to Rancho, you've the support here from the community yeah. is, you know, it's that's one thing phenomenal. I have noticed that been there phenomenal. is a the police are very well supported in this city and, and we they make us feel that way yeah. and that that also is a testament to the service that I think that our officers um, do each and every day but it's also a testament to the community right and um, it, it, it speaks volumes and I think it's a great connection well I hope you're here for a little while I hope so um, too finally we always end this podcast in a fun way with a lightning round of questions I have We've done it with everybody, so let's just go. Five quick mm -hmm. questions. Okay. What is one word that best describes you? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, committed. Committed? Yes, committed. If you could be one person for a day besides yourself, who would it be and why would you want to be that person? Oh, boy. That could be a real. <laughs> Um, Mark Saposnik well, from uh, Visit Rancho, the travel and tourism. Well, you tell me if this is okay. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's a person that I would choose. I'm, I'm very comfortable with who I am. Um, but how about I would like to be, if I could choose something to be, I'd, I'd like to be an eagle or something where I could soar, soar and just see, just see, ar yeah. see areas that, you know, we don't typically get to see. Right. So No, that's uh, whatever you so. would like. If all your um, officers are listening, and some will, I'm sure, what is your biggest pet peeve? Oh, boy. <laughs> That's not hard at all. Right. That's not hard at all. Laziness. Laziness. Laziness is a big pet peeve of mine, and I'm sure that, you know, my kids will attest that, you know, I, I don't always allow them to take a break. But, right. uh, no, I that that's a big pet peeve to yeah. me. Do you have any hidden talents? I don't know that I have any hidden talents other than the fact of I, I like, I like, it's probably people think I'm crazy to say this. I like yard work. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, 
Well, it yeah, gives me it gives me a form of peace, yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so it allows nothing. me allows me to decompress. Yeah, yeah. But, no, there's nothing wrong with but, that. Yes. What project are you working on today that you can't stop thinking about? Is that in regards to the community? Whatever. Yeah. Any pro yeah. Well, any project that you're working? Well, yeah. Not not building a new kitchen at your house. <laughs> no, my wife hasn't put me in yeah. charge of doing anything like that. Yeah, but not I'm, with your work. Um, you know, what is what is on your mind that you wake up in the morning and you think, I got to fix that? You know, if I if I had to say something, I, w I would say professional then versus personal. Professional, I want I want to market. I want to market what our organization, what our profession does and connecting with the community because there's so many different platforms on how the community receives information. How can we be better? Um, I want to improve upon that. Um, and I don't, I haven't necessarily identified the way of, you know, to improve, to improve upon that completely, but, um, we've come up with a few solutions and hopefully we will have an opportunity to do those. Um, as far as personal, um, my wife has a number of different projects she wants me to do. Um, I have to prioritize those. Right. Uh, one of those is, you know, my mother just moved here with, with me and, or moved in, in an area close to us. And I want to, uh, do her landscape of yeah. the backyard for Are you a handyman? So. Probably um, by default. Yeah. <laughs> probably. But are you good? I get it done. So yeah, I good. get it done. Yeah. Probably by default. Right. So. And finally, which is a very unfair, I've realized mm -hmm. it's a very unfair question to ask mm -hmm. people in authority, but what's your favorite restaurant in Rancho Cordova? You know, it's interesting that you asked that. We went to a, I really enjoyed it. It was, a, I think it's called Little Buddha. It's a t uh, Thai restaurant okay. there um, by Rockingham. And, I, I enjoyed you liked it. it. Very good. Yes. Yeah, that's become your. I like Thai food, yeah. so it was good. Yes. City manager was very diplomatic. He oh. said all of them. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I'll say I I, en I enjoy food. Period. Yeah. Um, but I do like going to KP Market as well. Yeah, so, KP yeah. Market is incredible. But, but I, I do. I enjoy going out to eat. Um, yeah. In general. So. Right. Well, folks, that's about all we have time for this week. We've been speaking with Rancho Cordova Police Chief Brandon Luke. Chief Luke, thank you so much for your time, and especially thank you for being so open and transparent. I know you're a very busy guy, and we all appreciate your time. Well, there you have it. Thank you for listening to the Rancho Cordova podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please follow us and leave us a review, and be sure to tell your friends. Also, please visit our website at www.ranchocordovapodcast.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, please send us a message via the website. And until next time, this is your host, Charles Lego.